0: Good morning. My name is Dan and we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 today. That's on page 815 of your church Bibles. I'll give you a moment to get there. Proclaiming the gospel is calling the world to salvation from the judgment of God. When you're actually doing that part, when you're doing that, it is not an easy message to proclaim. But there's an urgency to it that can't be denied. Sometimes even atheists can see it. I'm going to share a quote from celebrity and atheist Penn Gillette from the duo Penn and Teller. Here's what he says. I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That means share the gospel. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think it's not really worth telling them this, because it would make it awkward. How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible? And not tell them that. Penn Jillette gets it, sort of. I mean, in some ways, he understands urgency better than some professing Christians. But, since he doesn't know Jesus himself, his urgency is pretty much 100% angry, especially if you've ever heard the guy talk. Calling to mind only a sense of duty? Do your job! That's how he says it. Is that the only motivator to use with people? Ask any crying child. It is not. Now I say all this because urgency has been a huge theme as we've continued through the book of Luke. I mean, we're talking about calling the world to salvation from judgment. Judgment. But since, since in last week's text, Jesus has made a clarification. He and his followers are in a time of urgent proclamation. Yeah, but they're not in the time of judgment yet. The judgment is yet to come. So proclamation is urgency, but it's combined with patience. You got that? It's not all anger. It's not all fire and brimstone. There's urgency. Don't get me wrong but it's mixed with patience. Time's not up yet. Now today we get more clarity. First, we're going to see that proclamation, even done correctly, like both urgently and patiently, that will bring pain. The second, the motivation, the pleasure to proclaim Jesus can't merely come from a sense of duty As Gillette said, the motivation to proclaim the gospel is the gospel itself. And for that reason, and that reason alone, the pain is worth it. Let us start with chapter 10, verses 1 through 16, and start looking for pain as I read this. After this... But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings off of our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. The one who hears you and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So the first thing Luke tells us is that proclamation will be painful. I don't know if you caught some of that. We're going to go through a few pain points, and they might not seem a whole lot individually, but then we're going to add them up, and it will hurt. The first pain point is that proclamation will be overwhelming and urgent. Verses 1 and 2. So Jesus sends 72 disciples. We've got maybe about 72 people in here. And they go through whole towns. Jesus diagnoses that specific pain in verse 2. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. In other words, there's this constant tension that people really need to hear this message, but there's so few people to do the proclaiming. Jesus' followers are understaffed ambassadors. The mission is so urgent, but so overwhelming. You see the pain in that? We'll get to us later, but think about them going through town after town after town. There's 72 people. What else is overwhelming and urgent? Verses 3 and 4. The disciples are called on this unique mission, not to waste time packing and even greeting people on the road, but to simply go. All of this is comparable to the first mission Jesus sent his apostles on in chapter 9, the 12, but here there's even more urgency. You're throwing off everything that's slowing you down. There's no, there's no money, there's no luggage, there's no sandals. You're not even stopping in this case to say hi to people on your way. No blog updates, Nothing. With even more urgency, can you feel the pain there? Probably not even taking time to process how that thing went with that, that guy or that other town. You just keep moving forward. Now, here's the second pain point. So add what I just said to this. The proclamation will divide the hearers. Not everyone's going to buy in. Now, but some will here in the text. So I'm going to digress from my, my point about pain for just a moment. Look at verses 5 and 6. The greeting begins in each house. Peace be to this house. Now, this, is, this isn't like universalism or anything like that. This is simply shorthand for the, the preaching of the, the gospel being given. Peace from God to you. The proclamation of the gospel. And some are going to receive that. And if they do, verse 7, the missionary stays. They're fed. They're provided for. Praise God. In verses 8 and 9, a town receives them. They eat. They're provided for again. They're healing. Praise God. And I think what Jesus is saying to his followers here in the midst of this pain is just a simple reminder that with each acceptance, it's proof that their work is valuable. They're worth it. They are worth it. A little nudge every now and then. Keep going. Not everybody will reject this. But then, back to the pain. Verse 10 Here's where it starts to get a little messy. If a town rejects them, they reject the town. Unlike the mission in chapter 9 where the 12 apostles just kind of shake the dust off their feet, kind of mildly as they leave. These common people are saying to towns of people, the kingdom of God has come near and you rejected it. Imagine how many times they would have to say those words. There's a lot of pain in that. There's a lot of tension. How many times would you have to say it before you stopped? Now let's linger here because behind this is the third and most painful point. Those who reject Jesus will be destroyed. Jesus proclaims woe on those who reject Him in verses 12 through 16. He gives the example of Sodom, of Tyre, of Sidon, places that were judged by God and destroyed in the Old Testament for rejecting God. Fire came down from the sky And destroyed everyone. And Jesus is saying right here. That it will be better for those people. Than for these people. Who reject his messengers. And ultimately him. Imagine the pain. Knowing that. As you're sharing with people. Saying goodbye to entire towns. Thinking you'll probably never see any of them again. You might. What does all this pain mean for us? Because right now, I mean, nobody's wearing sandals in here. Is this for us? I first have to make a really big point that I hope you know. This mission to go is for every believer. Maybe not full-time. Maybe you're not quitting your job to do this. But sharing this with everybody, that is everybody's mission. And you know the best evidence for this? These 72 people that Jesus sends out aren't named. Who are these people? We know they're not fancy apostles. Verse 1, Jesus appointed 72 others. He already appointed the 12 and he made them apostles. These are simply regular people under Jesus' authority. And really, if you stop and consider these 72 people, it kind of makes sense. I mean, some of the unsung heroes later in your Bible might very well have been in this crowd. People like Philip who would become a a deacon of the church, he might have been here. Barnabas, who would be an ally of the Apostle Paul, he might have been here. People like Stephen, who would become the first person in Scripture after Jesus' resurrection to die, to be killed, proclaiming the gospel, he might have been right here. These people, or people just like them, we're right here. People that didn't get names in places like Hebrews 11, but they were in. So you might say, well, I can't go proclaim the gospel. I'm nobody. I can go to seminary. I'm nothing. But you know what? So were they. And they did. So we go... And we proclaim. Let's not miss that. And in that, there's another implication. Our mission isn't exactly the same as theirs. Since Jesus' resurrection and his proclamation in Matthew 28, there are no luggage restrictions. There are no money restrictions. In fact, the Apostle Paul raised support. Write that down. In case you meet people who don't think missionaries should get money. Sandals are fine, as far as I know. And we're not telling people that Jesus is coming to save us from judgment. We're telling them He did come. And He took the judgment. And then He rose from the dead. So our mission isn't exactly the same. So how is our mission the same? Proclamation of the gospel will be painful. I cannot lie to you. especially if you're doing it right. In fact, if it doesn't hurt, you're probably not doing it right. Let's add it all up. Let's add up all that pain and apply it to us. Consider the first pain point, the overwhelming urgency. That's still here. The harvest is more plentiful. The labors are still few. Who here feels like there's too much to do and not enough help? You who didn't raise your hand, start helping. (laughs) And now we have social media. You see all the brokenness out there? Anybody just kind of get tired of it, to be honest? Now add that pain to pain point number two. The pain of division caused by the proclamation of the gospel. I mean... Back here in the, 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 uh, the followers' time here where they're going out, they might see families or kind of small towns separated by the gospel. Now we see whole church splits. You ever see that? Entire congregation split. Whole denominations split over the gospel. The pain lingers. Now, Add all that to the third and perhaps biggest pain point. Judgment is still coming to those who reject the proclamation of the gospel. Now, for them then, for these followers of Jesus, judgment was coming. Remember, Jesus took that for us now. Jesus has already come and taken that judgment for all people, He's put that down payment. But for those who reject Jesus, that judgment is still there. It was not taken away. And it's coming and it's worse. For those who with all this evidence refuse to trust in the work of Jesus, provided we tell them. So how does all this apply? First, to the believer. Don't get tired of the pain. Don't get tired of the pain. Persevere in proclaiming the gospel. It is the salvation of souls. Don't allow pain to hinder or numb your proclamation. Don't just give up. Please don't. So let me speak just plainly for a second. Right now, this morning, people are headed for hell. Does that bother you? Really, do you care? Or is it okay, as long as you're covered? I'm going to share a personal example. One week ago, I was doing my taxes. I was out doing it. And I got a nice refund on the way. And guess what happened? The Lord loves me so much that as I was driving back down College Avenue, humming to myself because I might actually have money to spend. I can dream a little bit. I passed by wave after wave after wave of oblivious college students living life probably heading straight for hell. And that hit me. The Lord stuck a spur right in my side. Do you care, Dan, that they're going to go to hell? Have you felt that? If you have, good! (laughs) Let that pain spur you to go and proclaim. You, with your lack of seminary training, you with your secular resume, you with your questionable people skills, go. Take the gospel that you know to be true and proclaim it. Even if it hurts, even if it divides, because some might be saved. Do I sound like Penn Gillette right now, a little bit? It's okay, I'm not done yet. Or let's just apply this. Let's, let's apply this also to the pain of overwhelming urgency. Let's hang on the pain just a little bit longer. Because some of you care. You really do care. But you're actually almost numb. I mean, anyone driving down College Avenue every day and you're just, oh, there's too many people. I can't do enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. Don't have enough people to reach my neighborhood, let alone stay college. If you feel that pain... Good. Let that pain drive you to your knees like the apostles in verse 2. And pray for more laborers. Church, don't be content with who we have here. We have enough people. And please don't assume you could do it all. There are future co-laborers out there right now. And they might be on College Avenue. Go get them. Don't get tired of the pain. Lean into it. Let it drive you to the Lord. And then out to proclaim the gospel. It is the salvation of souls. Second application. Much shorter. (laughs) To those of you who are new to Christianity. Very new. Or those of you checking it out. Know that we love you. Okay? If you've got physical needs, you know... You're short on cash. You're sick all the time. We want to help. But please, know that we want to care, while, while we want to care for your earthly well-being, that's not why we're here. Okay? We do all of that so that you might be saved from the judgment to come. That is what we want for you. And that is what you need the most. if we just give you a cup of water and that's it, we're letting you run all the way to hell. And we're just making you stronger to do it. We've got something more for you than that. Okay, so this is a big mission with a lot of pain. So big, in fact, that being motivated by a sense of mere duty, which I hope I just provoked, That's not going to be enough. It's not enough that I just yell at you to go. Got to do some of that. But that's not enough. I mean, even when you add that spark of hope I alluded to earlier, you take your sense of duty and you combine it with the fact that some people are going to receive you and they're going to support you along the way. That's not enough. That is not enough to make disciples of all nations. So, Is there any other pleasure, any other goodness to help us weather the pain that comes with proclaiming the gospel? Yeah, there is. In fact, it's our greatest motivator. Let's keep going. I'm going to read 17 through 24. The 72 returned... the holy spirit and said i thank you father lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children yes father for such was your gracious will all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows who the son is except the father or who the father is except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him and turning to his disciples he said privately Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you the many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So the second thing that Luke tells us is that proclamation has pleasure. Pleasure. Pleasure to overwhelm the pain. Now, the first of these pleasures is this. Our ministry success pales in comparison to eternal salvation. Ministry success pales in comparison to earthly salvation. Verses 17 through 20. The 72 come back and they're excited. They come back with joy. and I mean, for good reason. Look at verse 17. They're beating the demons. They're actually doing, these nobodies, these 72 nobodies, they're doing what the apostles couldn't do. Remember, last chapter, they should have been able to do it. They couldn't. These guys are doing it. Now, Jesus then looks like he's kind of one-upping them a bit by saying, I saw Satan fall. (laughs) But I think he's actually just kind of celebrating with them a little bit. There's a lot of victory that's happening right now with a bunch of 72 nobodies on the power of Jesus. What they're doing. Then Jesus tells them that their power and their victory is not what should motivate them. Look at verse 20. Here's what they should rejoice in. Their names are written in heaven. What does that mean? Does that mean I should look up and see Dan written in the clouds? Should you do that? No, it means that they have peace with God. In fact, they have the peace with God that they're proclaiming out to people earlier. They will not face judgment from God. It will not be worse for them than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. They have salvation no matter the results of their ministry. He said, nevertheless, rejoice in this thing. Not the victory. And so not the defeat either. Rejoice that their names are written in heaven. Because worst case, what happens? They get killed. Then they get to go live with Jesus forever. That's the worst case. So here's how much this matters if we consider those 72 Stephen remember the guy I mentioned earlier who was possibly in this crowd say he was he was the first person to die proclaiming the gospel the book of Acts remember what happened as he was about to be killed he said and I quote behold I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He saw his name written in heaven. As that rock was about to kill him, he saw Jesus reaching down and saying, let's go home. That confidence is what it means to be motivated By the fact that your name is written in heaven. That dulls the pain a little bit. Doesn't it? Here's the second pleasure. Let's add that. Let's add this on top of what I just said. Jesus is sovereign. Over the results of their efforts. That is. He's in control. Over who will be saved from judgment. He knows whose names are written in heaven. Look at verses 21 and 22. Jesus rejoices in his father and says, You've hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. And then he says, No one knows who the Son is except the Father, who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, earmark this because we're going to hit this next week pretty hard. I won't say a whole lot now. But the point is this. As persuasive as the 72 are, or however much they botch that gospel presentation, if Jesus wants to save that person, he's good. And if he doesn't want to save them, they won't be saved. The results are up to the will of God. And it's not going to be those who think they are wise in their own eyes. So it's probably not going to be the people we expect. But back to them. Here's why this matters so much. Remember that earlier division? Being rejected by whole towns? Families torn apart? Disbelief in the gospel? Now the disciples and us, that might look like total chaos. But to God, it's total order. According to his will. You know? They get kicked out of a town and say, God, what are you doing? He knows what he's doing. Jesus' followers can trust that. Here's the third pleasure. Add Add this on top of everything else. They've seen the full revelation of Jesus. Look at verses 23 and 24. Specifically, 24. Jesus calls his disciples together and says, What you see... Right here is what kings and prophets wanted to see, but couldn't. In other words, this is a revelation that Jesus, who earlier has shocked his disciples by rebuking their desire to just throw judgment on people who reject the gospel. Jesus is drawing his attention not to the judgment of God, but to the, the mercy. In other words, fire and brimstone falling from heaven on the samaritans that's not the fulfillment of God's story in the old testament we're not there yet moses and elijah on top of the mountaintop as we read a few weeks ago that's not the fulfillment of God's story in the old testament the disciple or these followers greatest pleasure is jesus is saying Look at me. I am the fulfillment of God's story. They have what those who are wise in their own eyes don't understand. They have the ability to look on the face of Jesus and live and to be sent by him. They have something that people in the Old Testament would have loved to have. I mean, wish you could fall down, you wish you could call down fire or do crazy miracles like the prophets. You don't need it. You have Jesus. So what does this imply for us? All this pleasure should drown out any fear of pain that we might have. Is your proclamation of the gospel being received? Rejoice! Your name is written in heaven. Don't be proud. Is it not being received? Maybe your life is in danger. Rejoice. Your name is written in heaven. Go and proclaim. The Lord is going to save who he's going to save. Just go tell him. And even with all this evidence, those results are not the point of proclamation. Jesus is the point he died so that your name and their names, perhaps, will be written in heaven. Now, how does all this apply to us? First, to the Christians here, be motivated by the gospel, not by the results. Be motivated by the gospel, not the results. And with that, I offer a challenge. To you. So we're to go and trust the Lord, right? This week, if you are a Christian, I dare you to proclaim the gospel to one person. In person. do just wing it out as a status update. Now, if you do more than this, I'm not asking you to slow down. <laughs> got guys back. Where's Vadim at? <laughs> if, you do, if you do five, do ten. <laughs> but for everybody else, here's what I'm saying. Take a lunch conversation to the gospel. Or share, share the gospel with a neighbor that you've been thinking about. Lord, if you just send me a sign, there's your sign. Go do it. Or that family member you've been praying for. Or maybe even approach a total stranger. The results aren't up to you. Then come back here next week. I'm preaching again, and before the sermon, I'm going to lead us in a time of sharing. How did it go? Will it be hard? Maybe. Might be really painful for some of you. But the Lord's with you. And your name is written in heaven. What do you have to lose? You might even be really surprised at what he does. So don't forget. Next week. Finally, and this isn't me getting my evangelism thing in first. This one doesn't count. To those of you still considering Christianity, please, repent and believe before it's too late. At the risk of sounding trite, you don't know if you're going to live all day today. You don't know that. Repent and believe. Follow Him. And guess what? When you do, it's going to be painful. I'm not going to lie to you. But the same Jesus who offers you salvation from the coming judgment will keep you to the end. And you will enjoy pleasure with him forever. And with countless others for eternity. And friends, as we pledge to persevere and go, even as we think about maybe some of you are already like, I don't want to do this. As you're even thinking about this, We got to remember not our sense of duty, not because Dan said so. We must remember our motivation. And guess what? It's right there. Communion. Communion is the evidence that Jesus died so that your name is written in heaven. And if you trust in him, I want you to join us this morning. Not just to gather the strength to go proclaim the gospel, but to thank him for his patience because of all the times you didn't. He stands gladly ready to work with you, to shape you, to mold you into a faithful proclaimer of the gospel.